is Hiroshima. It's from the band Tsunamish. It's off their new album, also called Tsunamish, that came out earlier this month. You can find them at tsunamish.bandcamp.com. Tsunami and Amish. Put those two words together, you get Tsunamish. And they are the band that gave us permission to play this song on the podcast, devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the podcast, the home of classic monsters, modern talk in the head of Rondo Hatton. I am your host, producer, writer, and, well, I guess everything else that I do around here. I am Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show. This is episode number 259 of Monster Kid Radio, and we are talking about a kaiju film this week, so Hiroshima... You know, I thought that kind of made sense. I don't know. Maybe, kind of, sort of. Anyway, we're talking about the movie Gorgo, and I'm doing it with Tony Wendell from The Gigantic Project. I love having him on to talk about kaiju films. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. He's one of my kaiju go-to guys when it comes to talking about kaiju films here on the show. So I'm stoked to have him on to talk about the movie Gorgo. And you know what? I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to wait. I want to get into it. So let's do that right after this. monster gorilla that's constantly growing to outlandish proportions loose in the streets. Conga, born of a scientist's dreams, bred on a madman's nightmares, brought out of the jungle and turned into a wild beast beyond man's understanding. I am your master and you must obey me. Now you no longer have any Starring Michael Goff as Dr. Decker, who stole the jungle secrets of sorcery to distill Satan's black magic in his own laboratory. Margot Johns as the girl who becomes an accessory to murder, with Claire Gordon as the young student. Trapped with a madman in a nightmare world of fear, jealousy and passion. Let me go! Thunder, you know I loved you! jungle scene of color, excitement, and spectacle is thrillingly mixed with the close mystery of strange insectivorous and carnivorous plants. See them. Fear them. And feel the anger and the anguish of Jess Conrad in a picture charged with powerful emotion. Conger, the most fantastic beast of all time. Not since King Kong has a screen exploded with such mighty fury and spectacle. In the new process of spectamation and Eastman color, he grows in size and terror before your eyes. In a film that fills the screen with giant entertainment. Film productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplays is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. 
Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 black exploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. doll strangely terrifyingly human plaything of the devil capable of such evil that only a cage can restrain its diabolical desires it walks it talks in berlin 1948 find me. It sees. It kills on blood-chilling command by thought control. Hugo, she said you were ugly. But somehow he's put a man's life into that doll. Somehow, the malevolent mystery of the devil doll must be solved before more lives are lost to the monstrous power that manipulates it. Look into it. So deep and rich and red and warm. He's calling me, Mom. Please make it stop. But there are no obvious answers, no mechanical tricks, nothing but sheer horror that grows and grows and explodes into violent, murderous action. You'll learn the dummy's sinister secret only at the very end of this most unusual suspense thriller. But for maximum shock sock, see it from the beginning. Devil Dog. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio, why don't you? Before we dive into Gorgo, just so everybody knows, we are going to spoil the heck out of this thing. Tony's going to do kind of a breakdown of the plot. I'm going to pitch in a little bit. So if you haven't seen the film, well, you've been warned. You know, when we talk about giant monsters here on Monster Kid Radio, I have a couple of go-to guys I like to bring on the show, and Anthony Wendell is one of them. Anthony from the Gigantic Project. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, sir. I'm back home to Ireland for the first time. As I gaze on your fields and shores, you got a giant monster over there. That's not good. <laughs> oh, well, see, I was wondering if we were going to try to do like an accent thing, you know, to try to sound like we're... I, I can't do that. And, uh... No, I didn't want to try it either. Instead, I found a, uh old Irish song to start out with instead. There you go. I like it. So this episode's going to be going out in February, but as we're recording, it's still January for you and me. How is 2016 treating you so far? Pretty good. Pretty good. 
a little slow, but you know, winter can do that. Yeah, I'm ready for some sun. Just a little bit. We have two settings for winter up here in uh, Michigan. Either got uh, Hoth or Dagobah. <laughs> it's either the white, it's either the snow planet of Hoth, where you gotta rent a tauntaun to get to work, or it's partially everything's partially melted, and we come the swamp planet of Dagobah, and you half wonder if you aren't gonna see uh, Yoda on your way out to get the mail. <laughs> what would you rather see while you're out getting the mail, Yoda or Gorgo? Uh, probably Yoda. Okay, less of a chance of it stepping on you. <laughs> exactly. Gorgo, the film we're talking about this time around from 1961. I watched it on blue on a Blu-ray. You watched it on DVD before we started recording. I started to ask you if you'd seen it before, but I thought, you know, we ought to save that for the show. This was not the first time you've seen it, right? No. When was the first time you saw it? Uh, actually, uh, this one took a little longer to watch. It was one of those just I didn't get around to watching it like I did uh, the Godzillas or Gamera's. And uh, the actual full viewing without uh, any type of commercial interruption was uh, just last year. Wow. I kind of feel bad about doing that, actually, because it's just, you know, it's a really good film. I feel bad about uh, not giving it more attention earlier. I'm in the same boat. Uh, the first time I saw it was when it was uh, released on Blu-ray a couple of years ago. And I wish I had seen it beforehand because I also thought it was pretty good. Uh, well, we'll get into that a little bit, uh, you know, what our thoughts are on the film. I didn't realize until you brought it up right before we started recording, this was on MST3K. Mystery Science Theater did this one up. Yep. Unfortunately, they kind of lost the rights, or at least the television rights, so they only could show it, like, twice, and they aired the same day. But I think it's still available in one of their uh, box sets. Huh. Was it a Mike episode or Joel episode, do you know? It's uh, Mike. Mike? Okay, so later in the run? It was actually when they were on Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, that definitely later in the run then. Yeah, I never saw it on MST3K. Like I said, the first time I saw it was on Blu-ray when it came out a few years ago. And, wow. I mean, this movie is a lot of fun. I thought it was very well done. I thought for at first it was going to be, you know, they're just trying to rip off Godzilla. But, boy, it is not just that. There is so much going on here. And it sounds like... You enjoyed it quite a bit as well. Yeah, we got to dismiss that what uh, most people would try to label it as as the poor man's Godzilla. Right. It really isn't. No, not at all. In fact, if you look at kind of the pedigree of the film, it's got a really interesting background and, and where it falls in the whole Godzilla thing. The director of the film was actually the guy who directed the movie that kind of sort of inspired the people who made Godzilla. So it's got this odd pedigree in where it fits in kaiju. And before we really get into it, when I had Steve Sullivan on the show a little bit ago and we talked about the movie Yongari, I asked him, and I want to ask you your opinion because you're also an expert when it comes to kaiju. Even though this film is not of Japanese origin, do you still call it kaiju? It's the best way to describe it. Just like how costuming has become cosplay just because of the synonymous uh, way of with the words, kaiju is just the best way of saying giant monster. Okay. Technically, it's supposed to, you know, it's daikaiju for giant monster, but kaiju in general, meaning larger monsters, has become the go-to word to use. So I'm perfectly okay with using it in for the lexicon purpose. I'm good with it, too. I just, I know that you've been really kind of following these types of movies for a while, and of course, you've got the gigantic project. So I wanted to get your take. So I'm, I'm on board as well. So yeah, okay. Kaiju film. Question answered. Anyway, back to the film. So like I said, it was directed by the guy who directed the movie that kind of sort of 
influenced Godzilla. I'm talking about director Eugene Laurier. And in 1953, he directed the film The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which is a great film and includes some awesome special effects from Ray Harryhausen, of course. And this movie was one that the Japanese filmmakers saw and took some inspiration from when they made Godzilla. And then, of course, Gorgo takes its inspiration from... You know, a lot of the kaiju films from Japan. So it's all full circle. Yeah, all full. It's the circle of kaiju life. Is, is what I'm saying. I think, <laughs> or something like that. I, I'm not going to try to sing it, but something like that. <laughs> I, I'm trying to stop myself from singing it too, but <laughs> <laughs> too early on my side of the country for singing right now. Not enough coffee. As far as taking inspiration from the Godzilla films, I'm, there's also a little bit of King Kong in this thing. Not to berate the original at all, because, of course, the classic, the original mm-hmm. King Kong, but it almost is, it saw the flaws in King Kong and knew how to improve them. Because just like with Son of Kong and both remakes, they really made it more uh, an effort to show the plight that they had taken Gorgo from his home and that it, that was a, such a tragedy. That aspect, you know, they didn't really have that as much with King Kong. I mean, you know, they have the whole, oops, we really probably shouldn't have taken him from his home and brought him to America until he's dead on the sidewalk. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could see where you're coming from on that. Again, King Kong's a classic. I don't think either one of us are you know, saying it's no, not. No, no, but... we can't, no, no. By all means, but it, is, it is the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an evolution happening here, a little bit. Fire! No motion picture of our time has ever unleashed sharp spectacle of such scope and realism. As up from the depths of prehistoric mystery rages, Virgo. The headlines of the world blaze the fabulous story of this monster from another age, catapulted from some vast sub-ocean cavern by unprecedented volcanic action. And the headlines scream the story of the reckless skin divers who captured the monster and put it on exhibition. Sam! Pull out! Drop the net! What do you think you're doing? Hey, take it easy. Can't I let him go back to the sea where he belongs? Why? Maybe to save your silly skins for you. Hurry, hurry, hurry to see Gorgo. But the headlines do not record the story of a little boy who had a curious sympathy and understanding for the fantastic creature. What strange secret does he know that scientists only suspect? Are you trying to say there may be a fully grown one of these things around somewhere? How big would a full grown one be? An approximate guess. The infant? The adult. That would make it nearly 200 feet tall. Wreaking terrible vengeance against the civilization that has captured its offspring. Towering over the cities of the world as millions flee its awesome terror. Prepare! Prepare while you still can! Prepare! Nothing can stop it. Defying the force of the army, the might of the navy. Fire number one, Terry. Ready to open fire, sir. Fire one. Even the fury of the jets. Crashing crescendo of sights never before beheld by human eyes and adventures never before experienced by any man or woman. Just like-
like with our War of the Gargantuas review, bam, undersea volcano out of nowhere. <laughs> well, of course. Does this happen all the time? Just, oh, look, volcano out of nowhere. If I'm ever out on the ocean and somebody says, hey, there's an underwater volcano, I'm turning around. You just got to get out of there. No good comes from it. No. The victims of said volcano are the crew of the Triton, where we get uh, our main two characters, the captain, Joe Ryan, and his first mate, Mr. Sam Slade. Uh, played by Bill Travers and William Sylvester, respectively. Mm-hmm. I really liked Bill Travers. I liked him. A lot. Well, I liked them both actually. I liked their back and forth, their chemistry. I liked them a lot. Oh yeah, Bill plays the uh, smug character very well in this movie. Oh yeah, and he's got just the perfect voice, the perfect jaw for a leading man for this kind of thing. Really enjoyed the two of them back and forth, back and forth together. I don't know if I've seen them in a lot of movies prior to this, but it can't yeah. think of any myself. Uh, I don't think they did a lot of monster movies outside of this, but uh, certainly something that I. I want to look into because I really enjoyed him. Well, I guess William Sylvester did 2001. He was in that. And William Sylvester was also in uh, You Only Live Twice. Oh, really? Okay. I forget who he played in that, though. You know, my, my 1951 Down Place co-host is probably like, oh, you know, it's this one, right? <laughs> Scott will have to let me know what that one is since he does the James Bond stuff. Yeah, as a James Bond fan, I should probably penalize myself later for forgetting this. After a while, they all kind of blend together, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, a little bit. A, a little bit. You know, a quick look at his credit list for William Sylvester. It looks like there are a couple of other genre films in him or in his background. Devil Doll, Devils of Darkness, things like that. But for this film, like you said, he plays the first mate, Sam Slade. And between Joe Ryan and Sam Slade, it's almost as if they make one well-rounded person between the two of them. Joe Ryan's the exploiter, the opportunist, and eventually Sam Slade comes around to being the conscience of the two. And I did like that back and forth, that interplay between the two of them. So after the, once again, volcano out of nowhere, we get <laughs> they go on to an island called Nora Island, where I think their director was trying to get supplies to fix the ship. Mm-hmm. And as they enter, I think the director was kind of doing the just a little nod to uh, King Kong, because when they get there, they find out that the entire town speaks Gaelic, almost uh, foreign and uh, tribal to uh, those who weren't native to the island. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little nod to King Kong's island. I could see that. Then they're pointing in the direction of the harbor master and meet a kid called Sean. Oh, boy. Who immediately, not 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 even a good introduction, he's all like, hey, you want to see the treasure this guy's got? <laughs> yeah. There's a very Disney-like vibe to the way he's introduced and the, the way his relationship is established with our sailors. He doesn't have a father. He's an orphan. We established that right off the bat. And they're like, hey, guys, come look at what we've got here. And then we shows him that all the treasures, because the harbor master slash professor is an archaeologist, and he introduces him to the mythical water creature known as Orga. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that might come back. If you were reading this, that word would be bolded, so you know to come back to it later. <laughs> yep. And they're quickly given the cold shoulder by McCartan, who's like, yeah, you get some water and that's it. Get out of here. See, he's not just an archaeologist. We're going to learn later he's got a little bit more going on here on the island. But on the way out, you know, they don't just get out and leave. They instead find a body. Which I would think would be a red flag. There's a little bit more going on here. Not just a professor giving him the cold shoulder, but oh, hey, look. You'd think that, especially since they say that uh, he dies of fright. But no, because of the fact he comes up clutching a couple pieces of gold coin, they're like, well, we got to investigate this. Yeah. Yeah, this is where the entrepreneur in Joe Ryan really comes to bear. 
really comes forefront. So they head on down and they spot some gold, but at the same time, Sam spots like a shadow of something. He's like, I don't know what it is, but I don't want to know what it is. Which, of course, again, red flag, get out of there. <laughs> Bad things are coming. <laughs> Those naval uh, signaling flags like, this is a bad idea. You need to leave. <laughs> well, then we wouldn't have a movie if they did that. That's true. Uh, how many movies would we actually have if uh, intelligent and rational thoughts were executed in film? Good point. Very good point. <laughs> now that they've got the gold, night falls, and wouldn't you know it? Monster attacks. Monster attack, and they don't wait very long for the monster to show up in this film. Sometimes, like with King Kong, for example, it took us a long time to get to King Kong. They weren't hiding Gorgo in this at all, or the giant monster in this film at all. I mean, it's right there on the poster, of course, but it doesn't take long for the monster to show up. I, I thought that I should have been timing it, actually. I, was like, I just forgot to go back and double-check the numbers, but it doesn't seem like it takes a while, does it? No, not at all. It's right up there with uh, another recent film I just watched that had a really quick appearance of giant monster the original gamera yeah that's right the original gamera is there in the first 10 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. yeah it knows what's bringing people in so <laughs> oh yeah you gotta give us the monster just go straight for the monsters it's just easier that way at this point yeah especially well with gorgo anyway it's 1961 we've all seen godzilla and all the others so we know we know what to expect so as the monster pops up clumsily rampages not exactly a full-blown you know bloodlust rampage Sam and Joe start to uh, throw fire at it to scare it off. Sean's there, and he's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Because, of course, the little kid's going to be like, it's a monster. It's cool. <laughs> Which, be that as may, kid, it is cool. It will still eat you with a gulp. Just leave it alone. No. I mean, I, I, I get it. You know, I mean, I'm an animal lover. You know, I get it. You know, it's just doing what animals do. But still... You've got to defend yourself. So we learn later that the inhabitants of this island are not uh, destined for a long, long life. So, yeah, do what you got to do. Yeah, they should have followed suit because the very next day, the fishermen are all in an uproar about what has happened, and they're saying they want to get off the island. Well, you should have gone with the original thought, guys, because it would have worked out better for you. Mm-hmm. Seeing the uproar, the Joe is quick to, uh, once again, be the entrepreneur and... Him and Sam go and talk to McCartan and is like, well, we could probably get rid of your monster if you, <clears throat> you know, fisherman's ball situation. <laughs> yeah, in case it's not clear, this archaeologist isn't just collecting historical artifacts. He's got some treasure that he's found along the way, and he's got a little safe. They open it up, and Joe takes a very nice uh, golden chalice mm -hmm. as payment to getting rid of Gorgo. They start planning, but Joe's got another idea. Was it, wait, was it Joe or Slade who's got the idea that what would it be worth alive? I think Slade's the one who puts that in his ear. Oh, why do they always do it? Uh, we'll, get to the, we'll get to this in a second. We should probably uh, actually wait a moment first, because first off, they get a diving bell to, get, to try to get his attention up. And the captain goes down in it. Like an episode of Star Trek, it's the captain that goes away from the ship for the mission. <laughs> why, why did you do this to yourself? You're putting yourself in the bait that you're going to be using to catch a giant monster. Words fail me. You're right. It's just like Star Trek. You're absolutely right. But the diving bell works, and they're able to get Gorgo's attention, and they throw some nets down. And got him. 
the easiest giant monster capture in the history of cinema. Right. It's like, he's crushing me, he's crushing me, throw that in the nets. Okay, done. We got him. Really? Really? Yep. Well, it yep. can't be that easy. Oh, apparently it is this time. <clears throat> so with the, him captured, of course, you got to brag about it. So they send out via radio to the world, and they get some scientists saying, hey, it's pretty nice. We'll give you a nice price, and you take it to Dublin for us to research. But somebody else makes a counter offer. The Dorkin Circus. The unfortunately named circus, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm glad, I'm glad somebody else picked on that Dorkin. It's got to be a, a cultural thing, right? You know, and a, genera- and a generational thing. I mean, it's 2016, you know, the Dorkin Circus, you know, you know. Yeah, just something. Oh, well. The circus wants the Monster for exhibition. So, of course, Joe Ryan's up for that. There's some dollar signs here. Dollar signs and lots of zeros. And a percentage. So let's that sell for London. Well, yeah, 50% of the profits, eh, eh, that's a little bit better. Yeah, that's true. You never found out what the university was offering to compensate them for. You'll be well compensated, I think, is what the memo said. But the circus has got some hard numbers. It's got a percentage. We're going to London. But they've got a stowaway on board. Oh, young Sean. I'm glad they established that he's an orphan at the very beginning because they, they never really make a, an effort to bring him back or take him back to the island or make sure he's reunited with his family or his people. At this point, it's too late. Let's just bring him along. Put him in a bunk. If it had turned out that they had made uh, McCartan his father, would we want to send him back? That's a good point. I mean, seriously, the man was sending divers down to accidentally get killed by a giant monster so he could get some gold. This is a good point. And we don't even, you know, that was just the first diver that died. We had no way of knowing if, you know, there weren't a couple more divers that were uh, getting axed off as he was looking for uh, treasure. Right. Who knows what happened before our, our heroes showed up. Were we supposed to believe that Gorgo was there the entire time or the volcano woke him up? That's the only thing they don't address really well. It's a little vague. There, There's a sense, of, like, I feel like Sean, maybe had even seen Gorgo before. Like he was familiar with Gorgo, but it's it's never really clear, at least to me. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who's a little vague on that one. And he, of course, tries to untie Gorgo, but that doesn't work. So they throw him into a bed, and seconds later, one of the first uh, crewmen is killed. When Joe Ryan and Sam Slade find Sean trying to free Gorgo, they send him back to the bunk. And then Ryan assigns a guard with a gun What's he going to do? Like, if Sean comes back, he wants the guy to shoot Sean? I don't know what he was thinking there. They're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Who are they thinking they're going to need to use a gun on unless they're planning on turning it on Gorgo? He even gives them the instructions. Shoot and then run like hell. I mean, (laughs) okay, great. I just annoyed him, and now he's going to come after me. That's just great. Yeah, no. But they make it to London pretty uneventfully. Well, there's the death. or the the, uh, It's not really a death, but... I don't know. The, the trip seemed to be a, a footnote in the overall story. Uh, wh- what did you think of how long they spent on the ocean? There's enough time, I think. Okay. The, the, the bigger thing I, th- I want to point out is, uh, again, going to the whole stupid moves. As soon as they get there to London, being berated by the Dublin scientists for not bringing him to the university, one of them suggests to him that uh, as you transfer to the city, I'm sure you're going to get a tranquilizer into him so he's not riled up or something and the captain has this probably should have done that in the first place look on his face like 
I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was the idea of a tranquilizer not the first thing you thought of when you decided to transfer a giant monster across the sea? On your ship. Yeah. Drink, oh, why didn't I think of that? Tranquilizer. So that means that the entire trip, the nets were all it took to hold down Gorgo. What? <laughs> oh, we then have the basically the press footage. I mean, that's what it was in a nutshell, was they had clipped in what they had used for the press footage and the advertisement for the movie, which is the giant Gorgo uh, suit on the uh, back of a trailer that they rode around London with. They, they shot a lot of this footage on an early Sunday morning as not to disturb the public and needing to shut a lot of things down. But because there weren't a lot of people out and about on Sunday morning, they made sure they included that line of dialogue. Police have rerouted all non-essential traffic and civilians to other parts of this, you know, clearing the road. So well, I thought it was a nice way to handle that. Although if I knew that there was a giant monster being dragged on a trailer through my city, I would be right there to see it. Even though that makes me one of the dumb characters in a movie who gets too close to the giant monster, but man, I'd want to see that. Oh, no, no, no. You want to talk about dumb characters getting close to the giant monster? Let's let's talk about the unloading, where the reporter jumps over the uh, barrier line, takes a flash photo, and wakes up the creature, and then books it out of there. Talk about an agent of chaos. There you go. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, um... Not the wisest thing to do. Thanks to some flamethrowers, they are able to get Gorgo in his cage, but uh, somebody dies in the process. Uh, even though we may not know exactly which crew member this was, it does seem to have an impact on Sam, the death of this guy. Apparently he had a family and, and a wife, and he no longer can support them. And, and while he's dead, it's bad to have a dead guy on your crew. So, you know, this does start to make Sam think a little bit more about the big picture, I suppose. That might be a way of looking at why he decided to essentially adopt Sean. Yeah, that's true, too. Because Sean and uh, Sam are living together in a trailer next to Gorgo's pit offered to them by the circus. Meanwhile, Joe is... I don't know if he's got a trailer himself. He seems to be more like taking his funds and using them to put himself up in a fancy hotel mm -hmm. and drive around a new convertible. He's loving that Gorgo's being sold out every night, that the vendors are making hand over fist as they sell snacks to the crowd. And, you know, he's just loving the attention. He's loving that percentage. Yep. Well, even though the academia from Dublin are, are pretty upset that they didn't get their first crack in the monster, they, they are allowed to examine Gorgo once he's secured. They, they say, okay, you can go and you can check him out, which is good because we're going to learn something about Gorgo here in a little bit that kind of umps the uh, ante, I suppose. Turns out Gorgo is a baby. A cute, destructive, red-eyed baby. We, we didn't mention this, but there's a real quick passing moment on the voyage to London where Sam Slade and Joe Ryan are looking over the side, and they see bubbles coming up along the side of the ship. And I think Joe even dismisses it. Oh, it's just phosphorus coming up from the... No, I would think that's probably Mama Gorgo coming or following along. It's just what he says. It was just sulfur, but... That sulfur or whatever sent off of the washing of the ocean was a perfect way for there you go. the mama to track him. I love that. To jump ahead just a little bit, I just love that scene where they get called into the military uh, headquarters to get any information they know. And Joe totally tries to pass the buck. He's like, well, yeah, the, the professor told me to wet him down to keep him moist. I guess, And I guess it made a trail for the mom to follow. <laughs> 
totally trying to, to throw the professor under the bus. Or under the giant monster in this case. <laughs> I was just doing what I was told, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way to go, Joe. So, Mama appears, who... Well, the Wikipedia credits her as being the Orga, as being, so the best way to determine Gorga's the baby, Orga's the mother, and yeah, Orga, Orga, eh, Orga, in an effort to uh, find her baby, trashes Nara Island. Oh man, Nara Island. It's a good thing they didn't send Sean back. Now, one of the first people to meet his end is McCartan, actually. Oh, Professor. And unlike uh, Gorgo, who, you know, if you look back, was a little bit more clumsy, just like, oops, my tail bumped that. Oops, I bumped into the building. No, no, there is no accidental. Her feet smash. She's tearing into uh, anything she finds. She is uh, violently swiping the tail. She wants blood. Yes. She wants a baby back. Oh, yeah, she's on a mission. Yeah, the island doesn't uh, last. It makes the news, though. Joe and company hear about it. Joe, again, is just like, well, I'm sure there's something we can do. I mean, we don't necessarily have to give away my meal ticket. I mean, endanger everybody with mass evacuation, wink. <laughs> yeah. Sam, though, again, being the voice of reason, takes this extremely hard to the point that he gets sloshed drunk and tries to free Gorgo on his own. Yeah, that's, that's never... I mean, I, I get... Wanting to lose yourself in a bottle when you realize this is all starting to come down. But come on. Again, you, you were saying, you know, shoot and run is what they tell him to do. Like, he should have just ran. Because London's got it coming. Bad things are going to be happening. And one of the first bad things that happens is the Navy catches up with Mama and thinks that she can, tries to uh, take them down a peg. <laughs> they think they got him at first, but... No. We should probably mention that Gorga... The Gorgo race, or whatever you want to call these beasts, have no offensive capabilities in terms of uh, projectiles or anything, so it's just their physical bulk. But they really know how to use that bulk properly. I mean, on top of really good swimming, she, like, kips. It's, you know, not uh, crash smash. She seriously, like, body slams into a carrier and knocks it over. There's some real mass here, and she knows how to use it. Yep. And soon, before you know it, she has waded her way into London, and do, do you want to do it? I mean, I, I, it's not true, but come on. We, how many often are we going to get to do it? On, on three? Go, One, go for two, it. <laughs> London Bridge is falling, falling down, down, yeah, falling down, down, falling. <laughs> Even though it actually is the Tower Bridge. I mean, come on. How often do we get to actually do it? That's true. That's true. <laughs> but yes, the Tower Bridge comes down and uh, followed quickly by Big Ben. Yeah, Mama is not happy. No, well, and, and I get it. I mean, my wife's from Alaska, and you know, she tells me stories about the people who made the news up there when she was growing up by encountering a baby animal and thinking it's adorable and whatever, not realizing that the mama animal is going to be very pissed it's right around the corner that some humans messing with the baby, and it's usually a bear. Well, if a baby kaiju shows up, you look for Mama Kaiju. You keep your eyes open for Mama Kaiju because she ain't going to be pleased. Or sometimes Daddy Kaiju. Yeah, that's true. As, as we've all seen what happens when you mess with uh, Godzilla's offspring. <laughs> I don't know if I was intentionally going to bring up Son of Godzilla, but, you know. I was thinking more of the more recent uh, Godzilla versus Destroyer. Oh, there you go. Okay, okay. 
There we go. Godzilla after Godzilla Jr. gets uh, morally injured, Godzilla is not a happy camper. This is true, and it's a better film. Oh, yeah. the less talked about Minya, the better. So blowing smoke rings aside, back to this film. <laughs> so as a monster attack, there's obvious panic, and Joe and Ryan are. I can't really tell. Are they attempting to help? Are they attempting to get their butts out of there? It's just, there's a little too much chaos to tell what they're actually doing. Between all the crowd scenes, everybody running and panicking, and all the stock footage that they throw in of the military trying to do something about it, you do kind of lose a little bit of narrative focus about what their purpose is here. I I assume one of, they're they're trying to get Sean out of there. I mean, that's part of it, since he's the only other person who was on the ship that has any real screen time at this point. But Sean has grabbed a military convoy, and re- kind of, just kind of weird. It's just like, uh, you know, they just pick him up and pull him in. It's not uh, he acts, you know, he's got onto a military convoy without anybody noticing. He just hops in with some soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's not get too bogged down in story. Come on, we've got a giant monster we've got to deal with. <laughs> I don't know what the thought was there, but and, yeah, it did uh, seem a little... Sean is quick to, uh, Sean and Sam are quick to find him, and he's found Agra and... We thought he was entranced by Gorga. He is really entranced by Agra. There is this, as if he was being hypnotically uh, drawn to Mama Kaiju there, just kind of staring off. There's a little bit of almost a smirk or a smile kind of buried underneath his expression. I think it's the orphan him, you know, oh, the whole yeah. idealized parent figure. And, you know, this comes this Kaiju that, you know, this is the you know this is a mother who is strong, fierce, will do anything to protect their child. You know, just like this is what I've always dreamed of. Are you my mommy? Yeah, exactly. I didn't put that together, but that makes a lot of sense. It's the best way to look at Sean as a character, other than thinking that he's some kind of sociopathic uh, individual and is just loving all the flames that are around him. <laughs> I just want to watch the city burn. <laughs> Right. Wow. They catch up with him and they try to get him back, but unfortunately they get separated from Joe, so Sam and Sean get trapped in a subway and even have to escape into the tunnels, which have sprouted leaks from the seawater out in the outside and bad things are happening all around them. Of course. I was really pleased boy, this this sentence is gonna sound odd. I was really pleased with the destruction of London. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of burying. I, I, I like that. You know, that you often see people getting away in time, but now in all actuality, there would be a lot more uh, debris, people not being able to outrun the debris as it's thrown. Mm-hmm. And they really had a couple good features of that. I mean, one of them was as the Tower Bridge was coming down, they had the soldiers rearming the mortars and getting buried in the process. This destruction is not without casualty. There are a lot of little scenes here and there, just random people in the city, military folk, meeting their end at the foot, I guess, of Agra. <laughs> the, the rampage of... Tail. Yeah. Pretty sure there's a tail destruction. Yeah. Piccadilly Circus is destroyed in the process. And it's around this time that the that jets are scrambled in an effort to uh, try and destroy Agra. Even though you'd think the jets would have gotten out there earlier, like, you know, when they had the initial sightings of it in the water... That would make more sense to me. If we can go there before it gets to the city, let's scramble those jets. Just a thought. Yeah. But no, it's not until they get really, really close. They decide, okay, now we can use the jets. The repent the end is near guy with the sign. You don't see that enough, because, but you know, those kind of people would be out like 
the moment a giant monster report would erupt with just that, with just the smuggest look on their face, like, who told you? Come on, who told you? It's like, yeah, you're welcome. I get my, I find myself getting lost in this whole destruction of London sequence. Um, you know, and it's not just Gorgo that's causing problems for some of these people. There's the, the bit with them dumping oil onto the water to light it on fire to try to push Agra back. They tried the fire. Uh-huh. Their last resort's going to be the electricity. You know, with all these traps, they tried no chemical war. Well, you know, other than the oil, but I mean, they tried no uh, biological weapon. I mean, they got the tranquilizer amount well enough to get the baby through the city without incident. Why not try to multiply the amount and try to hit Mama enough so you could stop her? Good point. We know tranquilizers work. You got a you got baby through an entire city, you know, until someone decided to uh, get a selfie with the creature. <laughs> That's exactly how it would go down if they tried to remake this now. It wouldn't be a photographer. It'd be some yeah. idiot, some blogger. You know, it's like, I want to get a selfie. This is for my Instagram. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Tweet, hashtag giant monster. Uh, hashtag, you know, what could go wrong? So their last line of defense is uh, electrical wiring, which they estimate 2 million volts instead by the professors instead of, of course, doing the more rational thing, which would be to try and calculate the amount of tranquilizer that would take care of the creature. Right. And Mama tears right through it. It doesn't work. All hope seems lost, and that's it. Pretty much. Mama just wanted her baby. Mm-hmm. And once she gets her, they walk out to sea together, and the movie ends. It does just kind of end. But I did find it a little refreshing that they just go away. They're done. And, you know, the, the monsters aren't killed at the end. I guess this is something that the director or the producer intentionally did because their child was a little disappointed at the end of a previous monster movie with the monster being killed. Well, it's almost better for it because it's just like it gives that message of we can do nothing against the monsters. But at the same time, it gets the emotion behind of, uh, you know, it just wanted its baby. Right. And Sean, of course, is looking on lovingly with just as much admiration, which is uh, which helps with my original point of uh, this is the idealized mother because he's just like, you know, he says some kind of quote or something and just like it's heartfelt you know, that he admires the motherly love the creature has for Gorgo. And it's nice. Yeah, it, it is. And granted, we had to get through the destruction of London, bystanders being set on fire and Everybody, everything else to get, you know, a lot of this. But I, I did like that. And to bring it up the way that you did, I mean, that totally changes how I view the movie. Not that I didn't like the movie before, but it does add another level to it for me. That's good. So I did like that. Overall, I'm a big fan of this film. I really enjoyed it. It's a really good film. You know, a couple more minutes, uh, you know, not even like five minutes extra footage, just three minute explanation by a scientist of where it came from. Two minutes extra on the end is to for a little bit longer ending. It, it might have gotten that uh, last star, that four out of th- four stars instead of the three that uh, Leonard Moulton gave it. But Leonard Moulton is one to really talk up this movie. Yeah, I think he put it on one. In, he actually published it in one of his books as uh, one of the better monster movies. I could see that. I mean, it does take all the lessons learned from King Kong, Godzilla, all these other films, and it, it really did kind of modernize it for the American audience for 1961, even though it's a British film. And I could see that. I mean, it's got a lot going for it. I thought the monster design was unique. 
It's not exactly a Godzilla riff. There are some interesting things happening there. I, I like the detail in the face and the way it kind of moved. And I also liked that, like with the original Godzilla, when we see the destruction of Japan, there's some obvious visual callbacks to what had happened during the war. And I, I do see a little bit of that with Gorgo as well, some obvious visual callbacks to, say, the Blitz from World War II and how Germany destroyed parts of London and England during World War II. So you see some parallels happening here, too, just kind of updating it for the audience of the time. So I did like that. Okay, actually, I really liked that. It's okay to gush sometimes. Yeah, it, yeah okay. I, gushing on. I loved this movie. <laughs> Yes, it's a great movie. <laughs> really loved this movie a lot. What did you think of the monster design, the way Gorgo looks? I like it. Like you said, it, it did modernize things a bit. You know, it, it was callback to Godzilla, but at the same time, it had a bit of a different feel to it. Just like, it, it was like familiar and unfamiliar at the same time, and I like it for that. Yeah, yeah. You, you could tell what it was, what it was supposed to represent, but it wasn't just a Godzilla clone. I think the most notable feature are the eyes, because they made sure to always show that those were beet red eyes. Yeah, I like the eyes a lot. And the ears, which you'd think would look kind of, you know, cartoonish, but I, I don't know. They, they help, really. No, they really do. Uh, it gives it a little bit more life. You know, some of the lower-budget monster movies, their face is so static, and their eyes are so obviously flat and just boring and not real. You spend enough time with Gorgo's face, and you can really start to appreciate the artistry that went into making that thing seem unique and alive, the way it moved. I liked it. I don't really have any big problems with the film, other than just a few bits here and there that could have used a little bit more explanation or maybe even trimming the music. I'm a film score guy, so I want to just comment on the music real quick. I really enjoyed the music. It's by somebody who doesn't normally do a lot of genre films. Angelo, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, is a Lavigno, Lavignino. He's Italian, uh, and I apologize for mispronouncing his name, but he's got one heck of a filmography, and I like his work. Oh, yeah. This, uh, Gorko, despite having just the one movie, has a lot of influence in pop culture. Yes. The uh, Of course, we have the Mystery Science Theater episode. Mm -hmm. There also was a snippet in Flubber. It was used in Bill Nye the Science Guy, the original CSI. Really? Yep. Huh. And apparently a clip from it was used in a governor's run for the United States Senate. Uh, I'd like to see how that worked. <laughs> That's awesome. One can only uh, imagine. You know the first thing I'm going to do when we get done recording here is go to YouTube to try to find something like that. <laughs> find that, I find know. that clip. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a novelization of the film back when it was first released in a comic book run uh, through, it wasn't Marvel, it was um, uh, Charlton Comics who did the comics. Have you read the comics or re seen the novel at all? No, but apparently those are uh, worth picking up. You can get apparently a paperback reprint of all of them for like $50. Oh, wow. But also recently IDW back in... Uh, 2013, IDW released uh, a hardcover version of only about like 10 issues, but all those are the issues that were worked on by former Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko. Well, that's definitely something I'd want to see then. A real quick check on Amazon shows Ditko's Monsters, Gorgo, 25 bucks. I'm adding to the wish list. What I'm about to do. Also, a quick uh, bit of internet searching turns up. A movie from 2009, a short film called Waiting for Gorgo. I wish I had known about this before we started recording. I would have watched it. It's about 19 minutes long. Looks like it was a, it was a kind of a comedy film. So a group of people working for the Ministry of Defense 
whose sole purpose is to prevent the return of Gorgo. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. I'll send you the link. I'll put a link in the show notes, even. It looks like it's on Vimeo. I know what I'll be doing after uh, I look for political ads featuring Gorgo on YouTube. I'll be watching this. Sounds like a plan. So I mentioned the Blu-ray. You have it on DVD. It's pretty easy to get your hands on. It's pretty affordable, too, and I, I think it's worth the price, but not too expensive at all. Now, is the DVD bare bones or does it have any special features no, on it? No, no, it has a lot of the features on it, in fact. It's got that Ninth Wonders of the World, the Making of Gorgo set documentary, the Gorgo, the Monster from the Sea video comic, the exclusive uh, lobby card and poster gallery, photo gallery, the Gorgo Toys and Collectible Gallery. Wow. And a bunch of, and a couple other things. So, including the trailer, of course, and the press book. It, this is a pretty nice DVD, if, even if you go for just a DVD. I was wondering if the DVD was going to have all that on it, because I have the blue. And the documentary is great. It's done by Daniel Griffith. You know, his group was a Ballyhoo Productions, which... If you watch enough Mystery Science Theater 3000 DVDs and Blu-rays, you've seen his work. I didn't get a chance to watch the uh, documentary yet. You know, it's pretty so. good. It's pretty good. That's good. I like it. And it's a, a packed disc. $10 for the DVD, about $20 for the blue, it looks like. Or, I'm sorry, less than that. Maybe like 15 e- Either way, you got to have this in the collection. You really do. This is a solid film. And I'm glad it was just kind of a one-off. I don't know how they could have continued this as more films in the line, down the line. Uh, what do you think? I could see them doing it, but at the same time, I don't know if I could see them doing it well. Yeah. Because, you know, I could see them doing it, but to do it, you'd have to have more scenes of someone co- trying to come between Mama and uh, Baby Gorgo. Probably w- involving another monster, but it's interesting, but it's an interesting concept of what monster they could bring out to fight Gorgo, but... At the same time, you almost like it the way it was. You don't want to see uh, Littlefoot uh, from the land before time watching his mom have to die in the process of protecting him scene again. (laughs) That was traumatic enough one time around, world. Wow. A land before time reference. Well done, sir. Thank you. Well played. (laughs) Any final thoughts on Gorgo before we go ahead and wrap up, or are we going to leave it at line before time? Again, don't dismiss this simply as a poor man's Godzilla. It's got a lot to offer, and it deserves your attention. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, when you said you wanted to talk about this movie, I was like, yes! I was very excited for it. Now, you do ratings on the Gigantic Project's website. Where would you put Gorgo? What kind of a rating would you give it? I'm going to put it somewhere in like the B plus B area. That was really, uh, Gorgo really is up there in terms of short, sweet, and to the point. And sometimes that's all you need with uh, your kaiju. That's true. That's true. You put too much in there and it's like, ah, come on. Just give me the monster. And this movie does deliver. And and you are not necessarily very generous when it comes to, uh, you know, the high, high, high ratings. So, yeah, I I agree with you. If you're liking it, obviously the listeners are going to like it as well. I'm not generous? Oh, good. I was was worried I was being too generous sometimes with all the Bs I give out. Oh, well, no. I mean, you're... We don't do ratings here, but if I'm looking for... A good, solid review, whether it's a mecha. I still haven't watched a lot of anime, but I do read your reviews. So you have a real critical eye. So listeners, if Anthony likes it, you're going to love it. I guess that's where I'm going here. It's a roundabout compliment, I guess, is what I'm trying to give you. And I haven't had enough no, coffee I, I to make like it solid. It, I was worried I was, getting, <laughs> I was being a little too generous at times. No, no, no. I, well, yeah, well, sometimes you got to be a little harder, especially with the anime. You know, Not all mecha is good. <laughs> I still wouldn't know, but yeah. 
<laughs> I agree with you uh, because I believe what you're right. So, well, the gigantic is where people can find you. Anything coming up this year that listeners might be excited about? Well, I just finished my first theme month with uh, retelling month where I uh, looked at all the different anime movies where they tried their best to just shove the entire story of the anime into one little movie. It was good. And I'm going to probably send up a poll for what should be my next theme month for down the line. And for right now, just uh, keep on to the website. And I've got my Twitter, too, at uh, Anthony Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L. You know, I got uh, some things planned out. I actually got a couple entries, wrote out on paper. I just got to type them in to keep ahead of things. And I'll keep you posted if anything else changes. Please do. And, of course, we'll have you back on the show down the line. There was one movie that you and I talked about at one point about covering. It's not exactly a kaiju film, and it's from the 70s. I still want to do that film with you. I'm up for it. Right on. I, I don't know if we should tell the listener. I'm just going to leave it hanging. But the word giant's in the title. How about that? I'll just say that. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Anthony, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. Thanks for being part of the Monster Kid Radio Irregulars and being one of our go-to guys when it comes to giant monsters. I like being a go-to guy, so by all means, anytime you want to talk giant monster, I'm up for it. Right on. We'll definitely make that happen. Again, thegiganticproject.com. Anthony, thanks. Thegiganticproject.com is where you're going to find Tony and all of his reviews about kaiju, mecha, and everything large. You can also find a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net to his website. I'm sure we're going to have Tony on the show again in the near future. In fact, I know we're going to have him on the show in the near future because he's one of the guests that's going to be participating in one of our themed months this year. Also, I did go check out that movie, Waiting for Gorgo, after I got done recording with Tony. It's on Vimeo. Just go to Vimeo and do a search for Waiting for Gorgo. It's a short movie, about 18, 20 minutes long. I thought it was kind of cute. I will make sure there's a link to this in the show notes as well. movies were made. Adventure to make you wonder if it's true while your eyes convince you that it is. Truly the thrill of thrills. Don't miss it this time. across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the Invincible. 
Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. It is Rondo season, ladies and gentlemen. The Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards... It's happening again this year. It's the 14th annual and the ballot is open. Head over to RondoAward.com to check out the ballot for the awards honoring the best in classic horror research, creativity, and film preservation. The deadline for your ballot is April 10th. And here's how you put in your ballot. You just send an email to David Colton, the man behind the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. His email address is Taraco at AOL.com, or is it Tarico? I'm not sure where the emphasis should be on that first word, so I'm just going to spell it out. T is in Tom, A-R-O, C is in cat, O, at, well, do I have to spell AOL.com? I guess I just did. Taraco at AOL.com. Email him your ballot, your picks for the awards. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of people sometimes feel intimidated by the ballot. You don't have to. Yes, there are nearly 30 different categories here. Things like best movie, best independent film, best documentary, best podcast, best magazine column, interview, all these different things. You don't have to vote in every category. Now, if you want to, that's awesome. But if you just want to go through the ballot and pick your favorites from your favorite categories, that's fine too. Now you can only vote once. So make sure you are committed to your ballot before you send it in. And yeah, Monster Kid Radio is nominated for best multimedia horror site category number 17. And of course, I'd love your support. And I'm also interested in seeing a particular couple of folks get entered into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. This is category number 27. You can suggest up to six names. And then they go through the ballot, pick the most deserving, and put them into the Hall of Fame. Here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. There are no podcasters listed in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. And I strongly believe that the podcast tradition is an evolution of the Monster Magazine tradition. So why not have a particular podcaster in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame? Somebody who's been doing it for a long time and somebody who, for whatever reason, didn't get his own podcast nominated in Category 17. I'm talking about the man behind the B-movie cast, Vince Rotolo. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? 
Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. You know, that promo doesn't do the podcast justice. The B-MovieCast is typically a weekly show. It typically runs between two and a half and three hours. They break down a movie in depth, point by point, with a plot synopsis. They talk about the background of the film, the cast, the crew, any trivia, their own personal experiences with the movie. A huge chunk of feedback. It's a pretty impressive show and they've been going for years and I would be lying if I didn't say that Vince Rotolo kind of sort of became a mentor to me when it came to podcasting and you know it's not like it was an official kind of thing where I said hey Vince tell me how to do it but I looked up to him when getting my own podcast started he's influenced me he's influenced a number of other genre podcasters without the B-movie cast I don't think we'd have genre podcasting as it exists today I think Vince Rotolo belongs in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame I also believe that Ron Adams belongs in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame now he's been a guest on the B-movie cast he's been a guest on Monster Kid Radio he is the man who started the Monster Bat convention okay the monster batch the number one convention for classic monster movies this is the well now it's twice a year destination for monster kids to go and meet their favorite celebrities actors and actresses writers performers musicians all these people that were involved in classic monster movies and are currently involved in the celebration, preservation, and historical research of these classic monster movies, they're at the Monster Bash. And we wouldn't have that Monster Bash if it wasn't for Ron Adams. So that's another name I'd recommend you put into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. And then finally, I didn't mention this before, but I look at the Hall of Fame and I see Sarah Karloff's name on there. Now, Sarah certainly deserving, has done so much to promote the legacy, film, and otherwise of her father, Boris Karloff, has done an amazing job doing that. But there's somebody else who in recent years has really embraced her own father's place in monster moviedom and has really worked hard to bring the world even more information and love about Vincent Price. And I'm talking about Victoria Price. She's another person whose name I'm going to submit for the Monster Kid Hall of Fame on my ballot for the Rondo Award this year. Again, RondoAward.com. Go check it out and show your favorites a little love. I say there are things better left unsolved. what waits for us in nature's no man's land impossible unbelievable fantastic but i tell you it could happen it could happen it could happen it could happen yes it could happen for various authorities believe that buried somewhere under the polar ice cap in a state of suspended animation are the awesome creatures 
the leviathans that roamed the earth at the dawn of time. And under certain conditions, a nuclear explosion could free one from his icy tomb. Then, guided by instinct, the beast would come back, back to the caverns of the deepest Atlantic where it was spawned. An armored giant wreaking his prehistoric fury on modern man and his puny machines. Cities would be terrorized by the cruel intruder from the past. Populations crazed and panicked with fear by its destructive force. Granite and steel would crumble. Soldiers and their weapons would be powerless before the onslaught of the beast. The beast. The beast. The beast from 20,000 fathoms. Herald Square, 34th Street, Broadway. Every section of the city is guarded. No one knows where the monster will strike next. Another one, Colonel? No. You know what the radioactive isotope is? No, but if it can be loaded, I can fire it. I'll load it. Just remember one thing. This is the only isotope of its kind this side of Oak Ridge, so you can't miss. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Hello, everyone. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain, and I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. Nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yes. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. <laughs> yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures, <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks Sham- like melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Or Arises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, Yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. 
Join us for the Nashi Cast. Over at monsterkidradio.net, over on the right-hand side, you're going to see something that's called the Monster Kid Radio Gazette. You can subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter and get yourself signed up for a monthly dose of Monster Kid Radio goodness at the end of the month. And in the March release, we're going to announce what one of the two themed months is here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm excited. Because I've got something lined up in December. Tony's going to be on that and a few other people I've already talked to. But May is coming up, and I'm going to announce what May's theme month is in the Monster Kid Radio Gazette. We're also going to have a crossword puzzle designed specifically for you, Monster Kids, and a few other things here and there. I'm excited. I've been enjoying putting this gazette together. Much more excited than I was about the Monster Rally Checkpoint. So I hope you get subscribed to that, and let me get into your inbox once a month. Also at monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find everything else you need to know about the podcast. Between episodes, we've got links to everything that we talk about here on the show, like The Gigantic Project. We have links to every band that's appeared here on the show, like Tsunamish. And we have our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We have a few other bells and whistles at our website as well. For example, if you're a podcaster and you're looking for a Monster Kid Radio promo, we've got a few of them on our website. Just click on where it says promos. I've got four promos on there. Different podcasters help producing those promos. I think they're a lot of fun. Now, we also have a link to our Patreon page, but I am cautioning people, please hold off on involving yourself in Patreon if you are planning on becoming a patron on Monster Kid Radio, because in April, we're relaunching, rebranding, redoing the Patreon page. The reward levels are going to change. The different perks are going to change. The goals are going to change. So hold off. That said, thank you to everybody who's been a patron of Monster Kid Radio. You know, we have a link to our Facebook group over there as well. And, you know, I don't have a link to it yet, and I probably ought to put this on here prominently. Monster Kid Radio has a Facebook page. If you just go to facebook.com slash monsterkidradio, there's our Facebook page. Now, as of right now, we have 782 likes. I would love to see 2016 be the year that Monster Kid Radio hits 1,000 likes. So if you haven't liked us on Facebook yet, well, and if you're a Facebook user, I'd appreciate your support over there. I also appreciate everybody who retweets the tweets and shares the Facebook posts and talks about Monster Kid Radio on their respective websites and podcasts and blogs. Really appreciate everybody's support because really, it's about the Monster Kids. It's about you guys and gals, man. It's about the sharing of the love of classic monster movies. Speaking of which, next week on Monster Kid Radio, I've got a classic. Now, this is from 1964, and I think it's going to be the first time that we actually break down a Hammer film here on Monster Kid Radio. Normally, I do the Hammer Talk with Scott and Casey over at 1951 Down Place, and I have a lot of fun doing that. It has been said that every legend and myth known to mankind is not entirely without some truth. It was here, under a full moon, in the little village of Van Dorf, that an ancient legend suddenly terrifyingly came to life. Doctor, you'll perform an autopsy. On a body that's turned to stone? Have you ever heard of Megara? Megara. <laughs> 
It said that when mortals looked upon her face, they were turned to stone. Leave Vandorf before it's too late. What is it you're afraid of? I'm afraid for you. Or of what I may discover, if I remain. We want you out of this house, mister. Now. For 2,000 years, Magera the Gorgon had kept her evil peace. But now this strange, unearthly creature returns to petrify every human being who crosses her path. Starring Peter Cushing as the doctor. Did his strange talents direct him to medicine or murder? Christopher Lee as the professor. Confronted by a conspiracy of silence that paralyzed a village with terror. Akira died 2,000 years ago. It's her spirit we're concerned with today. It's found a resting place in somebody. Also starring Richard Pascoe, Barbara Shelley, Michael Goodliffe. The terrifying realism of the Gorgon. She comes to life and brings death to all those who look upon her face. Carla! I am waiting for Carla, Mr. Heights. I've already talked about the Gorgon with Scott and Casey over at 1951 Downplace. That was episode number 29, way back in 2014. You know what? I'll make sure there's a link to that episode in the show notes. The reason we're bringing it up here on Monster Kid Radio, though, is because next week's guest loves this movie. This is one of his favorite Hammer films, if not his absolute favorite Hammer film. He loves this movie so much so that he drew inspiration from this film for his new film. I'm talking about filmmaker Joshua Kennedy, and he's going to talk about The Gorgon and his new movie, The Night of Medusa. He does have a DVD deal in place for this, so it will be coming out. You will be able to check it out yourself after you've listened to Joshua talk about it and The Gorgon next week right here on Monster Kid Radio. You know, one of my favorite things about producing this show is connecting with all these monster kids around the world. Joshua, I consider him a friend. I consider Tony Wendell a friend. Tony, again, thank you for being part of the show this week. And I consider all of you guys and gals friends as well. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, all in one breath. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Hiroshima. That is from the release Hiroshima from the band Tsunamish. I'm going to spell their name. T-S-U-N-A-M-I-S-H. You can find them at tsunamish.bandcamp.com. You can find them on Facebook. However you find them, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week.